Hello, everyone. I am Carla Jakubovic, hostess of the Swiss Learning Podcast, and thanks for listening. Swiss Learning represents 13 prestigious schools in Switzerland, and they're experts at finding the right fit for each student. On this podcast, we will showcase alumni from each one of these schools to share their success stories and insights with you. Today, we're welcoming an alum from Glion Institute of Higher Education, Mr. Ronnie Garby. Ronnie, thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Carla. Ronnie, may I ask you to please introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course. Um, so at a personal level, um, I'm, I'm a Canadian national of Lebanese origins and uh, born in Russia and uh, married to an American. So uh, I don't know if I gave you a headache already. Uh, I live in New York. Uh, I have a two-year-old child and which is a real joy to be uh, to see to see him grow, particularly in this environment, right? Um, although I have to, to to honestly say that there are days where you feel like you have an alligator pulling on one of your arms <laughs> while you're trying to work with the other. So, uh, uh, but but all in all, it's been fantastic. Um, at a professional level, I oversee uh, the development and acquisition for a group called Pod Hotels. It's uh, it's a hotel uh, uh, company that plays in the compact rooms, um, and we're uh, we're working to grow it from five to fifty properties. Um, it's owned by by a large group uh, called BD Hotels, uh, based out of New York, and that mothership BD Hotels owns about twenty nine hotels. Uh, it's, it's set to be the largest or second largest owner of independent hotels in New York, uh, owns any things like, like the Bowery hotel and the Ludlow and, and the Greenwich was Robert De Niro on the luxury side and, and owns a lot of big bed factories like, like the Wellington and the Elysee. And, and we own the portfolio, uh, of, of pod hotels. Um, yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. This sounds incredibly exciting, Ronnie. Ronnie, you graduated from Glion, and do you feel the school contributed in shaping you into the businessman that you are today? Absolutely. Um, look, uh, Glion. Uh, initially, I mean, to be to be very clear, just going to Glion wasn't a very, uh, I would say, rational decision. And that that I had, I, I was a human, a global citizen at that time, lived a little bit everywhere due to my parents' career. And uh, I was culturally diverse. So I was in love of traveling, with, with traveling. And, and I thought Glion would be like the perfect platform to travel the world and work, work a little bit everywhere. A little did I know that it's, a, a, it's an industry that is very hardworking, right? So uh, um, I jumped and started my, my education with Glion and realized how uh, hardworking of an industry it is. And what Glion basically taught me is hard work and fall in love with the sector itself. Um, so I had a fantasy around the sector and Glion, uh, uh, crystallized it into how, how fascinating and complex it is and it, and it pays off. And I remember, uh, there was a chef called Poutrieu, um, that was fascinating and he had like those big, you know, uh, white, uh, mustache and, and, and he used to tell us, you know, you want to do your internship, go do it in the place that you despise the most for two reasons. Uh, on one side, you learn a lot. And on the other side, when else in your life you would actually have a chance to work in an environment that you don't like, right? So uh, do it now, learn it now, and then afterwards, uh, while it's in a controlled environment, and then afterwards go prosper somewhere else. 
Um, so it has been a, a, a huge, a huge uh, added value, Glion. Also, I think it was it's important to highlight the the the, the importance of the network, right? Uh, the network that Glion gives you. It gives you folks around the world that you could reach out to uh, that have different career uh, paths and and uh, amount of years under their belt. As a matter of fact, I'm having a fantastic conversation right now with an an ex Glion colleague. Uh, classmates uh, about about a very very interesting deal. Um, so um, coincidentally, it wasn't planned for this this interview, but but the call happened this week. And while I was uh, you know thinking about our call today, I'm like, wow, what what a, what a what a serendipitous uh, situation. So um, yeah, Glion contributed to to um, to where I am today, and, and I'm very uh, grateful. I share the same sentiment. I feel that the exposure to cultural diversity and the network connections for life are just beyond valuable. Ronnie, you're an adjunct professor at uh, for private equity development hotels at Columbia University's Master in Real Estate in New York. What motivated you to join the educational sector? Well, it, it's 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 very simple. I did that master's in real estate program. Uh, I graduated from it, and uh, what I realized is that it was very real estate heavy and didn't have a lot of hospitality components. Right? Hospitality uh, is a real estate asset class, so it's very important for real estate folks that are building and uh, real estate and buying and selling real estate and shaping that that mothership, if you wish understand the hotel component well. And and we didn't have a lot of classes that addressed it. Um, and, and frankly, a lot of real estate folks fear the hotel asset class because they it's 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 mystical to them. It's an operating business. So I, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think it, it is operating business. It's beautiful, subject to interpretation and everything. But first and foremost, it's a real estate investment, right? It needs to make real estate money. Um, and uh, and the dean of of the of the school, uh, as well as the director of the program, were kind enough to invite me to put together a, a curriculum around uh, hotel development, private equity uh, setups, and um, you know, and and that was about seven years ago. I've been teaching there for six years. My students are between twenty five and forty five years old. Um, variety of background, anything from lawyers to architects to designers to financial folks. I uh, I think two thirds of my class or three quarter of my class is from the uh, in, in, in a school called GSAP, which is the architecture school of Columbia. And, uh, and, and and one third, one quarter is from the MBA school. So it's a class that is shared between these two schools. And it's open for other folks uh, within the university. I like that one of your motivations was to make it a less scary subject for your students. Uh, as I, I remember when I was growing up in Brazil and in high school, I grew interested in history because I had an amazing teacher who made it super interesting and, and relevant. Did you have any teachers who yeah. influenced your academic likes and dislikes? And what would be your dream oh, legacy yeah. to, to leave behind to your students? Oh, I, I think a lot of teachers teachers played played a role directly or indirectly i think i was not not only sort of let's say sucking 
academic knowledge from them, but more so behavioral and values, right? It's, it was, uh, I think every encounter is a rich encounter, uh, you know, to a certain extent, of course, they're, they're folks that you don't want to spend a lot of time with. But uh, so yes, a lot of people influenced me, maybe not, not directly in their subject matter or the way that it was intended, but, uh, but definitely, um, you know, some, some names come to mind, like, uh, uh, Claudio Zucco, for instance, at Lyon, who was our teacher at that time of international tourism. So uh, it was really nice to, 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 he's always been there post-graduation, always been there, you know, as a, as a sound advice to my career, um, uh, always been there to, uh, you know, give me counseling. Um, another guy that comes to mind is Sonny Calci, who taught me at, uh, here at Columbia, uh, this time, but, uh, great, uh, you know, a great school for humility, right? The guy is extremely successful, uh, runs one of the biggest private equity world funds, but, but answers his emails in, in, in a matter of 24 hours. I think these are values that are important in addition to, to academia. Um, but specific to Glion, somebody that stands out to me was, uh, was uh, happens to be at that time a teacher as well as the owner of the school. I'm not sure if he's uh, how, how involved he is today. Ian Heigen. He did. Uh, I remember I had financial difficulties to pay my tuition uh, to continue paying my tuition for year year three, and I was very determined to graduate. So he was kind enough to uh, I made an application for for scholarship and all of that, and I was super lucky to to get a, a certain level of discount to be able to finish my program. And, and basically he, he, he made a, a, a bet on, on, on me uh, and he agreed to my application. And, uh, and I'm very grateful to that. That is remarkable. And uh, it's interesting to hear how we were speaking about having a network for life. And the network includes teachers, not only the students, right? Yeah, it, it, it does. And, and to your question about, you know, legacy or I, I, I don't, I, I, it's a very difficult question, but I, I would say, look, if whatever I have, uh, whatever my career path looks like or whatever my conversation uh, are around students, if, if in a way or shape uh, they contribute to uh, 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 them uh, choosing the right career path and succeeding in that path, I think that's probably, and being happy, right? Because ultimately happiness is everything. Um, then, then, then I believe that I would have done a fairly good job. I really like that. Ronnie, you ran your own business and created your own hotel brand under Cedar Funds. And you worked for innovative companies like Pot Hotels and Richard Branson's Virgin. The current crisis has called a lot of individuals and businesses to reinvent their business models and themselves. What are some lessons you learned from this innovative platforms that are helping you navigate and overcome current challenges? I mean, it's no secret, and I'm going to say it and it probably will sound a little gimmicky. It's human capital. We always forget that businesses are nothing if it weren't for the people that are around. And the people that are around need to be uh, treated with respect, uh, cared for, and, and respected in economic prosperity as well as, as in, in down, downturn. Richard Branson put it, put it very well uh, in, uh, in one of his famous lines that says, train people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so they don't want to leave, right? 
And, uh, and that sums it all. I think what this crisis has taught us is, is um, surround yourself uh, with like-minded people, uh, people that you believe have values that are aligned to yours. And you know what? That's not just as uh, at, at, at an employee-employer relations, but at, at every level as well. You know, and that includes real estate investment. You know, surround yourself by investors that are like-minded, partners that are like-minded, consultants that are like-minded, lenders that are like-minded. We're seeing this a lot during this crisis, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit later on. That's great insight, Rani. You are head of acquisitions and development for Pod Hotels. What are some mistakes that a rookie in your area is likely to make in the beginning of his or her career? I think one of the, the most important learnings that I had, I'd say, uh, early, early enough in my career is that you want young folks to be excited, right, and, and motivated to, to, to achieve uh, and overachieve in whatever sector they're playing in. But one thing that you learn that is a sign of maturity uh, into an industry or sector is to walk away from deals, right? Learn to say no. <laughs> and, uh, and quite often it's a tough one because a lot of emotions, a lot of hard work has gone into um, lifting every possible stone to get to something. You may realize it's not the right thing. And don't let your emotions cloud your rationale. So. Um, that is an important lesson to me is to walk away from, from bad, uh, bad opportunities. And you know what? It translates to, to, to also walk away from bad employers, walk away from bad partners. Um, I know you don't have the luxury or folks that are young don't have the luxury to choose and pick early enough in the career. But keep that in the back of your mind that you'll, you'll be back in control for, of, of what is best for you uh, once you've paid a little bit of your dues in the beginning. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the do not, when you're in my line of business, which is acquiring real estate or developing real estate or putting deals together is don't be too aggressive in, uh, you know, in your underwriting, um, don't over leverage your assets, uh, um, uh, don't just run behind and look for and chase cheap equity. Sometimes you, you may get partners that will will ask for more, but it might be better. Same with the debt side of the business. Don't go for the cheapest loan. We can talk about this later, but sometimes cheapest loans are more hurtful, like we're seeing during the economics the downturn right now. Folks that went and got loans from uh, the CMBS market, which is the uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities world, uh, they paid less interest rate, but now they're having more difficulties getting forgiveness or forbearance, uh, whereas folks that went to, to balance sheet lenders, the big banks, can pick up the phone and call someone and say, listen, my hotel is in an in 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 extreme difficulty right now. Can we uh, defer our payment for one or two months? So partnerships are very important. Take time to, to assess that. Um, the dues is uh, uh, always stress test your investment. Uh, always uh, think of this black swan that we're going through right now and factor it, keep it in, in, as, as a possibility in your sensitivity analysis. Um, and just treat investment opportunities, uh, if you go into that line of business, uh, as if it was your investment in full, as if it was your money in full, and decide there if you would do it or not. 
Tell us a little bit more about the strategy behind selecting new destinations. Can you share two or three boxes that must be checked before moving forward with a new development or acquisition? Yeah, I mean, every company has different prerogatives as to where they go and how they do it, right? And, and, and this environment that we're in right now of COVID-19 and the pandemic is also changing the, the dynamics of how you look at deals and locations. But let, let's go through, you know, in an, in, in an ideal world, an ideal environment. I think first and foremost, you look at your strategy and, 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 and you see if whatever hotel you're looking to build or buy uh, is aligned with, with your portfolio, right? So assuming that you have, you know, 100 uh, or 50 Holiday Inns and, and Hampton Inns, would you go and build uh, a luxury hotel on Miami Beach? Is that logical for your operating business? Is, are you adding an incremental uh, benefit to your portfolio and to yourself, to your partners that are investing with you? So choose the right product. More so now in the in the in the pandemic, because some products will come back, uh, recover faster than others. Right? Um, folks say that leisure would come faster than corporate. That would also come faster than group hotels. So you need to decide what product you want to play in. And so that's one. Second, markets. Right? Some markets are uh, might be too far uh, for where you operate or uh, best. Right? Um, look at us, for instance, Pod Hotels. We we have about five hotels in North America, 2,000 rooms. Um, we're looking to go to 50. And I would tell you that the first few years of going to 50 would be in North America. I'd love to be in Brazil, and I would love to be in, uh, in China, and I'd love to be in Switzerland. But it doesn't make sense for my operating team to be on a plane servicing these hotels when they can actually, you know, uh, from New York, take an hour flight to two hour flights to Miami or an hour flight to Toronto. So let's optimize where we are now before we go elsewhere. So point number two, location, right? How incremental it is. And of course, think about, I always have to draw parallel with the pandemic, right? In the pandemic, there are locations in, in North America, particularly because I'm based in New York, uh, that are uh, deemed to succeed or recover faster, right, uh, than others. So leisure destinations will recover faster. Drive-to destinations will recover faster. So uh, in the pandemic, I would be more inclined to look at at uh, at, uh, at at these destinations that will recover faster. Um, and lastly, most importantly, look at your risk-adjusted returns. So what returns you need to generate. Uh, for you and for your partners, and would that investment fit within that uh, those parameters? You just mentioned the pandemic, and we can't go through this interview without addressing the devastating impact that the pandemic is having on the hotel sector. Travel has been unpaused for most of 2020, and today most hotels are in financial distress. What are your thoughts about a recovery timeline? Uh, yeah. It's, it's a tough one. And before even saying that, I think, you know, while hotel owners and partners and investors are hurt a lot during this, this period, let's not forget who's, who's hurt the most. Uh, it's folks that have been either uh, laid off or furloughed, folks that are living paycheck to paycheck and have, you know, doesn't, don't have the luxury of, of a huge amount of savings to navigate through that. Um, so this is where the real difficulty is. The, the, the thinking process around when things are going to recover and 
and prosper is there's so many opinions out there. But the consensus is that our industry is very dependent on um, the vaccine, uh, the therapeutics. Uh, what we realized during this, this pandemic is that travelers don't have a gun to their head to travel if they feel unsafe and you need to make them feel safe. So when we tie everything to, 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 the, to, the, um, to the cure, the question is when will the cure come through <laughs> right and uh let's say uh, the cure or the vaccine or whatever it is comes comes through towards the end of this year then you have to think about every step that goes into getting it uh, administered as well as uh, so you add six months to each step you know you 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 get the vaccine maybe six months to produce it well they started producing it already but let's say produce it enough and and another six months to, to full full administration, right? Uh, and maybe another another six months for traveler confidence, right? To to go for people to feel that you know it's been it's worth going on on a vacation, right? That is not drive to, that is fly to, right? Um, so if you add all of this um, and you you look at some of the C CBRE analysis, HVS analysis, or some of the investment banks out there, the Morgan Stanleys, the the Jeffries of this world. It looks like everybody is uh, indicating that the leisure hotel world may recover in 2023 to the 2019 price point. Um, and the more corporate and convention and group orientated hotels will recover by 2024, 2025 to the 2019 numbers. With all of these variables in mind, what type of opportunities are you looking for in this environment? And how do you determine a fair hotel value? Well, it's 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 not easy because you have to take a point of view, right? So, as as an investment or development firm or hotel brand like ours, teaming up with investors and developers, we need to take a view as to when the twenty first thing, when the twenty nineteen value will come back, and and what what product and market, like we talked before, like if we're comfortable with leisure. If we're comfortable with Miami Beach, because because it's a drive-to and short flight to destinations for Americans, uh, so that's that sort of mitigates the pandemic risk. So if and and one would say would recover faster. So let's say these two uh, components are covered, then the the question is um, when do you think you would get to the 2019 figures again, occupancy and ADR RevPAR, and if and you need to have a view. So if the view is 2023 then you resolve a big mystery around valuation. So let's assume that we have a view that in 2023, we'll get the numbers on, of, of 2019. So that's one thing. And then the other things that you need to look at for acquiring real estate right now that is delinquent or distressed is it, it becomes a math formula, right? Uh, how, much, how much was it valued in 2019? Uh, what, what cap rate it was valued at? let's say 7% and then then taking a risk of buying it during during a, a pandemic you would have to to expand that capital rate uh, capital rate so cap rate so let's say it was at 7 in a healthy environment now you would want to put 100 to 200 uh, bips one or two uh, percentage points on it so that was one component of the valuation risk around investing in pandemic then then you you have to think about the next two years, this asset may be bleeding, right? Because it has to pay for some staff 
that is always there, even if you're shut down. You have to pay for your taxes on the building. You have to pay for your insurance. Um, those don't don't go to zero. Uh, so you may have to feed that 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 uh, that asset uh, to survive over two years. So it could be a million, could be two million, could be three million dollars. So you have to factor that in your investment fees, and and then you want to come out uh, in 2019 uh, and in 2023. Uh, below replacement cost, right? Otherwise, it's not worth uh, the investment. So all of these things would need to be taken into account and becomes a math formula. How do you see the industry evolving over the next five years? Uh, what advice can you offer students who are just arriving on campus? What I realized throughout the, 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 few, uh, the latter part of my career is that we are a great school for lateral industries. What, we re- what I realized that the hospitality component is not limited to hotels anymore. So I would say to students going and learning hospitality to stay very open-minded and creative in their career choices. Uh, folks in the in the residential world are looking to emulate hospitality behavior. Folks in the in the office space, as we've seen from WeWork and Industrious and, and a bunch of other folks that are trying to sublease office space on a shorter period of time are trying to create hospitality behavior. Um, think about concierge services in, in, in the Airbnb world and, and other home sharing world that is trying to mimic the hospitality behavior. Um, uh, so, and, and Cloud Kitchen, uh, which is becoming a big thing right now with the pandemic because people are delivering more food than, uh, than, uh, than actually eating out. So. I think hospitality schools uh, are are an amazing foundation of hard work and skills, but where you end up, just keep an open mind. That's great insight. Uh, Ronnie, we reached a part of the podcast where I ask our guests for take-home value. If our listeners could remember just one thing from our conversation, what would you like for that to be? Okay, well... As an employer, because one day you will be, I think, uh, stay true to your values. Um, uh, Take care of your employees. Uh, It's your best asset, always pays back. Um, You know, team up with investors you like, because you guess what? You're going to be married to them for a long time. So make sure the chemistry works. Uh, Don't get blinded by just, you know, uh, short term benefits. Remember to, when you get to a position that, that, that is, that where you feel comfortable uh, to, to mentor other folks, send, send the ladder back down. Um, it's important, a lot of folks forget that. I think it's an important thing to keep in mind. And, uh, and as a human, um, I encourage people to, uh, to uh, support greater good. Uh, so, uh, you know, wear a mask and keep social distancing uh, uh, to the best extent you can so we can get out of this uh, disaster situation uh, much faster. That's awesome. Rani, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. I hope our listeners enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. If anyone wishes to continue this conversation, can they find you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. And if you have a question about anything else we talked about on the podcast today, feel free to email me at carla at swisslearning.com. Thank you and until next time.